Thank you, Brother Al, and good morning. Thank you for coming out each morning. I know that bed feels better than getting up and coming to a cold tent. But I appreciate you, you being here. Many of you have mentioned that you appreciate the thoughts that we have shared. Some of you have mentioned also, several of you have mentioned, in fact, the, the fact that children have left the church. Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up exalting truth. Live the truth before them. Don't compromise it. Live it before them. Um, As we mentioned yesterday, it's in their hearts. And you never know the experience or the crisis that they will encounter, that that will still, God can use that to still bring them back. There is restoration. There is hope. And I trust that this series has been that for you, a hope. Uh, Each one of us has that hope. That God, we've all stumbled, we've all made a mess. But uh, by the grace of God, he has uh, reconciled us. We have repented. He's reconciled us. And then he has restored us. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? That this man, a fisherman from Galilee, who would have thought it? That this fisherman from Galilee, that Jesus would say to him, you are Simon. You will be Peter. What's he indicating by that? That there's going to be a transformation of God's grace in Peter's life. And that he is going to grow in that relationship to something that he could never, never imagine. Who would have thought that that out of this impulsive man, sometimes a very violent man, that Jesus would see in him such potential to establish him as a leader in the church? Who would have thought it? Peter, trained by Jesus, up there in Caesarea Philippi, could, could give those, those amazing words, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that just a few months later, the man who said that could say, I don't know him. You've mistaken. It's my lookalike. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that after he has denied Christ, that he knew him, and after the resurrection, Jesus would have a special private meeting with Peter to accept his repentance to have reconciliation between Jesus and Peter 
and then work to restore him. Keep in mind, Peter is a bruised man. His testimony is in shambles. He has shed bitter tears. A man who isn't given the tears, he'll fight it out rather before crying. He's a man who has stumbled badly. And we wonder, is there any hope? Is there any hope? We know, by the grace of God, there is. By the grace of God, there is. Because God's grace, God's grace is greater than Peter's sorrow. Don't forget that. God's grace is greater than Peter's sorrow. But remember also, that in the restoration process, sometimes it's very painful for the person who is being restored. Sometimes a person who is being restored struggles with it. Because that person being restored has to admit and accept personal responsibilities for the decisions they have made. The actions they've taken or the words that they've said. They have to admit that and confess that. And this is precisely what the Lord impressed upon Peter's heart in that private meeting. That they had resurrection morn. What they discussed is not recorded. None of our business. But they were reconciled. And brought back together. And Jesus began that restoration. So open scripture with me to John chapter 21, please. John chapter 21. Gospel of John chapter 21. The disciples, of course, are still staggering from what has taken place. Their hopes have been blasted. In verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Back to the old ways again. Back to his business. That's all he's known in his life. I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, okay, we'll, we'll go with you. As they've been working all night trying to catch fish, morning comes and they discover there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the net. They caught nothing all night long. They're sitting there mulling it all over, and uh, someone calls them the shore. Hey, guys! You got breakfast ready? Catch anything? Not at all. Cast the net on the other side. You don't catch fish in the daylight hours, but they do it. And they caught so many they could hardly drag it in. Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. What? It's the, no. Yes, it's the Lord, Peter. Look, look how he's standing. It is? Yeah. Bang. He's in the water. They're about 300 feet out in the water there. He can't wait to get in there. And discover that Jesus already has breakfast ready. He said, 
bring some of the fish, we'll add it too. And they have breakfast together. It says in the record there that they had 153 fish. Interesting sidelight. Who do you think counted them? I think it was Matthew. You know what he was, huh? <laughs> he wanted every penny from you, the tax collector. <laughs> you didn't miss anything with Matthew. So Matthew must have been the one. He kept records. He kept the records. So he, he, he counted it up for them. The point being in this particular story now is that Jesus begins his process of restoration with Peter, establishing him to a position of leadership with the other 11. Um, Peter's denied him three times. He stumbled badly. And it's necessary for God's plan to be worked out in this man This man that Jesus has invested so much time and interest in to restore him to his position of leadership. Peter is about to be restored. And the way Jesus does it is very simple. Let me pause just a moment and have a little insert here. Um... There are some stumblings which believers have committed that have consequences. Sometimes they forfeit any meaningful public service for the Lord. Um, That doesn't mean there isn't forgiveness. There is forgiveness, but there's also consequences. Daryl and Barbara have been sharing with us the trauma of their journey in life. And Anthony, who murdered their daughter. They pray for Anthony. What they pray for, I don't know. But let's suppose that someday Anthony accepts the Lord. God forgive him? Yes. Is he now free to go forth? No. Anthony pays the consequences. So keep in mind that forgiveness, yes, but consequences must still operate. And Jesus is now going to restore Peter in a very simple way with a series of three questions. And you'll notice in verse 15 of this chapter, chapter 21, verse 15. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, 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 summoned Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And again, he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord. You know I love you. 
Jesus said, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved. Because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to the Lord, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. We've had this conversation, Lord. Don't you remember? I confess my love to you. Why are you insisting on asking me that? Now, the word love here, um, Jesus uses a different word than Peter. Jesus uses agape and Peter answers in filio. Um, there are four words in the Greek for, for love. And Peter answers, yes, he, he loves the Lord. doesn't use the same word until the last time. He finally brings himself to respond with agape love. Now, in a college, they taught us that, you know, agape love was a higher love than philia and so forth. Um, Peter finally brings himself to respond that way. He, he, Jesus here affirms him. Feed the lambs, feed the sheep. He's reestablishing him among the others to a position of leadership. And the third time that Jesus asked that question, it hurts Peter. He's grieved. Restoration can be a, a hurtful process. And we talk about restoration. We talk about repentance. And as we mentioned yesterday, repentance means there is a change in my attitude, in my thinking, repentance. It's also accompanied with a corresponding change in my behavior. I'm changing my direction and my goals. Repentance is that I agree with God in his estimation of my behavior. No longer am I going to make excuses for it. <clears throat> no longer am I going to blame others. I take responsibility for it. Rather than blaming someone else, I agree with sorrow. And so repentance is that godly sorrow. My heart getting right with God. And then there's restoration. Now, as I say, Jesus and Peter are having a little play on words here with uh, this word love. And um, it's difficult for us in our English language because Greeks had they had four meanings to love. And we have, you know, basically one word for it. So I say I love chocolate chip ice cream. Your salivary glands begin to work.
I love my dog. A little more emotional. I love my dog. But when I say I love my daughters and my sons, still a little more. Martian. We're using the same word. But when I say I love my wife, surely, more so. So it's difficult for us that when we use that word love to, you know, sometimes get the emotion of it and you have to use it in its context and so forth. But when Jesus and Peter, they have this little play on words, they're, they're speaking it in the emotional sense. By the way, what did Jesus mean when he said, do you love me more than these? Uh, we don't know exactly, no, because it doesn't actually say there. What did he point to the boats? Fish, Peter's, um, you know, that's all he knew was fishing boats. Did he refer to the disciples? The Zara of Ages, page 811, tells us that it was referring to the disciples. Do you love me more than these? Jesus is establishing Peter. In this role of leadership, once again, he had a difficult time bringing himself to to use that word that Jesus did. But he loves Jesus. He really does love Jesus. And finally, he, he brings himself to use it. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. It's when Jesus asked him the third time that he loved him. As though he's questioning Peter's honesty, truthfulness. Uh, And Peter is grieved. I wish we had time to talk about grief and the guilt of it all. So many times God's people drag baggage of their days before they met God with them into their present experience where they lack assurance that everything is right between them and God. And they bring with them their former experiences that that keep them from being liberated. They don't quite accept the forgiveness. They just wonder, does it does it really take? Uh, When we were in College Place, Max Torkelson, who used to be, I think, one of the presidents of this conference years ago, he was on our staff there, did visitation for us. And one day he came in the office, he said, Bud, he said, I'm amazed. I'm amazed as I go out visiting the number of people, older people, who lack assurance. They're just not quite sure of the relationship with God. They lack assurance. They're thinking back of some of the old baggage that they've had. And we talked about that. There's a text, beloved, 1 John 1.9. If we confess, he will do what? He will, what? He will. Not he'll think about it. Not he'll uh, 
try to remember. It says he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the question comes, do we believe that? Do we believe that? You see, if we don't believe it, what are we calling God? We're calling God a liar, if we don't believe it. So if you have some guilt, confess it to God. Because he has promised, I will forgive you. I will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's no record of what happened in Peter's life between Friday when he denied his Lord and resurrection morn. So many times, and often God's people in handling this guilt simply withdraw themselves from the fellowship. Peter may have done this. We don't know. He, he just drops out of the picture. There's nothing recorded of him. And this is where this text, First John, comes into play. That if we confess that we accept God's judgment for us, his evaluation of my behavior, that he is faithful and just to do that. I do my part, he does his part. And he forgives us. And beloved, with that forgiveness comes restoration. He restores us. The guilt should no longer be part of our experience. The interest, an interesting thought, uh, this word forgiven, he forgives us in the Greek, is in the present tense. That means it's ongoing. God continues to forgive us. He forgives us. Remember the other night, Carl mentioned, uh, I think he quoted from uh, Dallas Willard, that when God looks at us, he sees us at our potential, at our fullest. The butterfly, the caterpillar, the chrysalis, and so forth, ultimately becomes the butterfly full. God sees us that way. He forgives us. He reestablishes us. He takes those sins and he says, I cast them into the sea. What is it, 34,000 feet deep or something of that nature? He doesn't want to remember them. I blot them out. Let's not talk about them anymore. They're gone. They're covered with the blood of Jesus. And they don't shine through. You are forgiven. In other words, God begins to do that work of restoration. He continues to forgive us. 
and he continues to make us more like Jesus. Until 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of the love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called, what? The children, the sons of God. That's the ultimate. The children, the sons of God. God has forgiven us. That's his forgiveness. We need to, beloved, accept it and rejoice in it. Accept it and rejoice in it. And never, never doubt that God has forgiven us. Because if we confess our sins, then we stand before him forever forgiven. There's a quote, and I just thought of it this morning when I was going over my notes beforehand. And I don't have the page, but it's on the left side of Steps to Christ. It says that when we get into the, this position of forgiveness, and God and Christ, they have forgiven us, we stand before him as though we have never sinned. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. All I can do, beloved, is accept it. Just accept it. I can't fully understand it. I can't fully comprehend it. But to think that God accepts me as though I have never, never sinned. He accepted Peter. Did Peter ever deny Jesus? Yes. But he's been forgiven. Does he deny? No. God, that's over with. That's over with. He now stands in the character and the image of Jesus Christ as though he has never sinned. What amazing grace of God. What amazing grace of God. Notice verse 20, Acts chapter 31, verse 20. Jesus has been talking to them then, and his ultimate task in verse 19, after Jesus talks with him, he says, Peter, just follow me. Follow me. That's what he's to do. That's his ultimate goal, is to live the life of Jesus. Verse 20. Then Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. John is following them. Jesus has explained to G Peter how he's going to die. And uh, Peter says, but uh, what about this guy behind us? What's going to happen to him? Verse 22. Jesus said, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. It's none of your business, Peter. It's none of your business. You follow me. 
you follow me. In other words, beloved, remember, we are accountable to Jesus for ourselves. And we can't impose our thoughts on someone else unless those thoughts are from the word of God. So Jesus says, mind your business, follow me. What Jesus is really saying, hey, you don't control him, I do. You take care of yourself. Now, the other night, Carl mentioned about um, Bob and Karen, I believe it was. Remember the couple that went to the church and so forth, were baptized. And the question always comes, that all happened to them, but did it take? Did it take? McCall told us, yeah, but 10, 11, 12 years ago, they're still faithful members. They had to move away, but they're still faithful members. And so this is our question. Did it take with Peter? Did he remain faithful and true? Jesus has reestablished him. He's restored him into his ministry. But did it take? That takes us to the very next book, the book of Acts. Notice chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And in the second chapter of Acts, you recall the Spirit of God has come upon them. They've had to experience the day of Pentecost. And on that day, it says, Peter, in verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and said, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you. Heed my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose. But this is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. And he goes on. Where in the world did this come from? Joel? There's no record of Jesus ever referring to Joel. Where did it come from? I think it came from the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're admonished when you're called before the leaders and the rulers. Don't take thought of what you're going to say. Who? The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. I think the Holy Spirit inspired Peter on that day of Pentecost. He spoke about Joel. He goes on, he speaks about David. He pricks them in their heart through the message of God. And they finally come before him and they say, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. 3,000 of them were added to the church that day. The church continued to grow, as it says in the closing verse of that second chapter. The church daily grew as God blessed them with new souls. 
Peter's message, God's blessing upon his, his message. Incredible. This man, a fisherman, who has stumbled so badly, who would have thought that God would use him to preach that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. Don't underestimate, beloved, what God can do through you and me when our lives are committed to him. It may seem like impossible, but don't underestimate his power, his amazing grace. Who would have thought it? In chapter 3, they are on their way up to the temple, remember? The man is there begging. And Peter says, we don't have any silver or gold. But he says, such as I have, give I unto you. And in verse 6, he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took the man and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he leaped up praising God. Amazing. God's power in Peter's life manifested that power. It's interesting. Here's a man begging for alms. And God gave him more than he was asking for. Do we operate sometimes like that? We ask God for peanuts, and he wants to give us a watermelon. Something far greater, something far more grandiose than we can even think of. But that's our amazing God. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. In chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're brought before the, they're brought before the, the council. They give their testimony. They, um, it, it just amazes me how they're able to, with the boldness, to be able to stand and uh, and to speak. And after their arrest. They go forth, preaching the word, the day of Pentecost. And in chapter 5 of the book of Acts, you'll notice that the church is getting established. Um, Chapter 5 and verse 1 talks about Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story. They promised God, uh, you know, returns of some property they're going to sell. They sold it and probably got more than they anticipated for it. And so they kept some of it back. Notice verse three. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And you've kept back a part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained... Was it not yours? But after it was sold, was it not 
in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men. You've lied to God. And Ananias fell down dead and breathed his last. A few hours later, Sapphira, the same thing. Did Peter's restoration take place? Did it last? Yes. God shows his compassion through Peter in healing the layman. He shows that there are sometimes judgments to be called. Was in Ananias and Sapphira. And then in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, take time to read these because in Acts chapter 11, Peter defends the grace of God, the power of God, the spirit of God moving and working. Notice verse uh, Acts chapter 11, verse, um, verse 12. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. You remember the story of God's ready to take the gospel to, to the Gentiles. And he gives Peter the dream, the vision, the sheet coming down and so forth. Opening the door to the gospel of the Gentiles. And then in verse 17, verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed... On the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God also has granted to the Gentiles repentance to sin. Here's God taking the message now to the Gentiles using Peter again. Peter is real, Peter is a mighty leader in that early church. He has been restored. And God is using him. Question. Are people saved by grace plus works? Or are people saved by grace through faith plus nothing? That's how God saves us, beloved, through his amazing grace. It's not of works, lest we should boast. It's grace, his grace, and nothing more. Nothing more. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? That God would take this fisherman, Peter, anoint him, restore him, and use him. Even to the point where he wrote two epistles in the sacred word. Read them. First epistle encourages us in our suffering for Christ. In enduring the trials. The second epistle. Be loyal. Be faithful. Endure unto the end. Because he that endures unto the end will be saved. 
And Peter, beloved, is not just mouthing these words. He's talking from his experience. He's talking from his experience. He tells us there, cast all your cares, all your burdens upon the Lord. Because he cares for you. And Peter could say that from experience. I know. I know that God cares for me. Because of his amazing grace. I can tell you. It can happen in your life. Daryl, come and share your testimony with us, will you?